Want to know why your interiors or images don't look like the ones you see on your favorite social media feeds? What if I said I could let you know and show you what's missing and how to transform your spaces with clarity and confidence? The truth is creating beautiful interiors is simple when you know the right strategies, but most people go about it the wrong way. This is why I created the Styling Masterclass. It's the only program that simplifies the art and science of styling, giving you the clarity and confidence to take your interiors to the next level and attract your dream customers or clients so you can make your creative dreams finally possible. This is for you if you're an interior designer or photographer, have an Airbnb, a homeware shop or e-commerce business, and you want your interiors to look like the ones you see in your favorite books, magazines or Instagram accounts. Come learn how to style using my signature method so you can elevate any interior and create compelling imagery, which is your most effective marketing tool if you're selling a product or service in the world of interiors. Any successful business owner knows that styling is your secret weapon to cut through the visual noise, stand out from the crowd and grow your business. Styling is something that you don't want to leave to chance. In today's world, images are everything. This is why leading interior designers and architects always use stylists to finesse their spaces for photography to make sure they've got incredible imagery that they can use for their socials and website. Come learn how to make styling not only an essential element, an easy way to create content for your socials and websites, but learn how it can propel the growth of your creative business. If you're serious about creating beautiful interiors and a business you love without struggling in obscurity, this is the program for you. I'm going to share my process and give insights that you're not going to get anywhere else because I've been working as a professional interior stylist for the past 15 years. The Styling Masterclass will give you that clarity and confidence you need to take action and connect with your dream customer or client so you can make your creative dreams possible. Go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level to learn more and enroll now. Enrollments are open for only a short time. So please, if you're interested and you're ready to take your interiors to the next level, go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level. Welcome to Imprint, a podcast about creating a home and life you love I'm Natalie Walton, an interior designer, stylist, and best-selling author focused on an holistic approach to homes. Each week, I'm sharing insights and interviews about the creative process to help you enhance both your interiors and well-being, as well as provide you with the tools and resources to make considered and sustainable choices with all that you create. If you like to try before you buy, I have some exciting news for you. You can now get an exclusive extract from my new book, Style. All you have to do is go to nataliewalton.com forward slash style book and enter your details to get a free sample of what's inside. So if you're intrigued to learn more about how your style is the foundation of everything you create at home, go to nataliewalton.com forward slash style book for your free exclusive sample. Hello everyone and welcome to Imprint. 
I'm really looking forward to sharing today's interview with Louisa Gray of House of Gray, who has an important and inspiring take on interior design. She's interested in a whole person, whole world approach to designing and building spaces. And she shares how she's built a successful design business on the back of these ideas without compromising on the look and feel of spaces. In fact, House of Grey's signature quiet luxury aesthetic is at the heart of her approach. Please enjoy my chat with Louisa Gray. Hello, Louisa. I am so looking forward to having a chat with you about all things interior design and your very specific approach to how you create spaces through your practice, House of Grey. But first of all, I would like to start at the beginning because I'm always interested in how our journeys inform the path we've taken in life. So can you please share a little bit about where you grew up and if there was any indication that you would be where you are today in terms of your work? Well, hello, and thank you so much for um, asking me to come on board and have a conversation. It's always really, I, I, I'm always kind of slightly overwhelmed when um, when other people are sort of as interested in what we do. Um, I think probably because of my childhood of having very creative parents, um, and having met at art college um, in the 60s, they kind of always encouraged me to think in a very different way um, and address my neurodiversity in terms of um, I'm quite dyslexic. And that kind of um, helped me change my view in a positive way um, in terms of feeling that potentially what could be seen as a hindrance, um, they allowed me to see as a very positive attribute to think differently about things. Um, having parents, my father was a builder and architect, and I just watched in awe over the years as he kind of juggled different projects and just loved watching him create these wonderful spaces. And I had a childhood of living in lots of different spaces in terms of um, I was born in a church. I then lived in a very old school kind of pub, which my father converted um, in the 80s. And he's we, he's always had a, just a different view on how um, to approach buildings, but with a very sort of caring um view on it and uh, my mother was an international knitwear designer and had started a business um, with two young children and then my sister joined and I just I was I was kind of in awe of her being able to juggle being a mother having her own business having several knitters that she kind of designed knitwear pieces and then they kind of made the pieces up for her um and just how she managed to you know work that and have an adaptable life that kind of very much appealed to me um and i've always they've always had a very visionary circle of friends which is kind of i've really drawn on and um you know you kind of take little elements from situations and yeah that's, that's been very informative for me yeah, no, I can completely see then how it is that you've ended up where you are. Um, and it's interesting what you say about dyslexia because my stepfather has dyslexia and I just anecdotally, you know, from reading about various people who have it, 
it, I think it tends to be that obviously while there's one part of, you know, the way that your brain processes information that might not work in the same way, but I feel that lots of people who have dyslexia, it's like that there are other parts that get amplified and you actually become really in tune with creativity or, or practical, like my stepfather. I mean, he, he is incredible in terms of like, he can do um, work as an electrician, a plumber, like he's really hands-on, like he, he really can understand things in a very hands-on kind of way. And I think, mm. yeah, is it's that, would you say that it's helped amplify other parts of your sensory perception? A hundred percent. I think it's, it's this, it has tuned me in a lot more to how things make you feel because being at school and being in, when I was at school, it's very much, a um, you know, you can't, you needed to get your grades. It was kind of, you needed to, oh, as it is now, but just in terms of, there was a lot more of a dyslexia was seen as a, much more of a negative it was a learning difficulty whereas now it's actually seen as an attribute I would say and in terms of you know I think it's allowed me very much to I can go into spaces and I can just see I could I just have a vision for how they should be very three-dimensionally um which I know for which is why our clients come to us as well um because they you know a lot of I realized that I just thought it was a a given but I've realized that a lot of people don't have that sense of okay that's how it could look they'll walk into a space and can't quite actually sort of see it at all or visualize it so um I would definitely say that that's focused me to really pick up on the things that make me make you feel good and creating that space that really makes you feel happy contented and nurtures you at the end of the day because sometimes out there it can feel quite hard and quite cruel and I definitely felt that when I was at school it felt I it just wasn't um it, there were moments of feeling it was very tough um so I think you turn these things around and you make you you draw on them and think actually how can I pull this around to being a huge positive in my life and focus on the really um, wonderful things that allow you to thrive. Um, yeah, so it definitely has been. It's kind of, I find myself kind of, uh, when I look at it now, it's a lot more, you can understand who um, who has been very entrepreneurial in this world, like Richard Branson, who is dyslexic and quite um, is very vocal about that as well and you kind of look at these you know other peers and think god wow you can really turn this around as well and kind of use it as such a huge positive my godson's dyslexic and we have lots of conversations about you know all of the, he's 13 and all of the things he could do in his life and how because he struggles so much at school he can he barely can read or write and i i know that that's really hard because he finds himself not focusing not being concentrating at school and i think that's um it's good to be able to pass on some wisdom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sort of no, learn from these things. Completely. I mean, I know certainly with my stepfather, he, I mean, you know, he grew up, he's now in his seventies and he certainly grew up in a time where I think, you know, there was a perception that he was dumb, you know, because mm. people just didn't understand what it was. It perhaps didn't even really have a name then. And I think for all mm. of his life, I mean, he's achieved so much 
And I think mm. so much of it, he's been trying to prove to, you know, <gasps> to, to other people totally. in a way that, that he's not <laughs> yeah. dumb. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's, you know, very smart and is, he really has achieved so much. And I sort of, yeah, I wondered if that resonates with you. Oh, actually having this conversation with you, I've, I've, I do a lot of work on myself, just kind of looking at, um, kind of deep diving into kind of inner child, um, things. And there's definitely a lot that comes from, you know, being dyslexic, not feeling like I fitted in at school, not understanding things. It took me a while to, you know, when I, when we were in class, you know, I wouldn't just get things. And I found it very difficult in exams um, to retain information. And it was, I found it, you know, you compare yourself to other people at school as well. And I think there becomes very much an element of feeling the need to prove yourself. And um, it, it push in a way it does, uh, but it pushes you harder, but I've really learned to accept acceptance of being who I am. And actually we're all different and we all have different attributes um, and settling into who I am a lot more. And I think, but that does come with understanding yourself, getting to know yourself, looking at why you do certain things. And that, that's what I find very um, fascinating about how we all are so different, but how, and how different people perceive different things, but I can definitely understand with your um, stepfather and especially in the time, I say the time, but, you know, in the 80s when I was at school, <clears throat> how different it's looked at now. You know, there was a lot more exclusion when I was at school than there was inclusion if you were dyslexic or had any learning difficulties or, but now it's, you know, it's, it's more considered a neurodiversity and it's actually an attribute and you just, you work with that. And there's a lot of, it's interesting. I sat at dinner um, a few weeks ago and I asked somebody, you know, Oh, what, you know, what do you do? And they said, Oh, I'm multi hyphenated. And I thought, God, that's so interesting. Cause now we can, we don't just have to say we are, I'm an interior designer or I'm a architect. You can be multi-hyphenated and people accept that a lot more and that kind of I love that adjustment that we're throwing the doors open a little bit more and because we are as humans all so different and we all have different needs and different um you know day-to-day -day sort of I don't want to say requirements but things that we could you know look at I, I think there's just a lot that we can we can break from because it very much used to be about the norm and now it's a lot more about the multi-hyphenated and who who do you want to be and how how do you become that person and because I, I think also we're always constantly adjusting into and settling into who we are throughout our lives yeah completely I mean I think that you know I mean I I always struggle with that that description of you know what 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 are you you know because I I yeah. style I design I write books I you know I'm an yeah. author I, I write books I do a podcast <laughs> there are so many different elements and I think that it all ebbs and flows with different seasons and you know sometimes I'm more consumed with writing a book and you know that other things mm. take a bit more of a backseat so I think it yeah it, it can be much more fluid than the way that life traditionally has tried to be very prescriptive in terms of you know who we are and what we do so um mm. yeah I think that that's a, a good kind of transition that we're going through so then I'm curious about then I guess your formative years when you were 
in those late teens. And did you have a sense then of what you wanted to do once you finished school? I guess, particularly within the context of what you've spoken about, you know, feeling that it was a struggle to perhaps get through school. And did you go on to do further study as well? Can you just share a little bit about that sort of period of your life? Mm. Well, it was interesting because I had a lot of friends at school. Um, I'm originally from Cambridge, which is a university town. Um, and there, it was it, it was a very academic, um, my mum's very well read, my sister's um, very well read. And I struggled with kind of having that much connection with books because of my dyslexia. Um, and also feeling quite fearful about, um, you know, not not feeling that actually going into an academic role was going to, it was just not going to work for me. I, it just, it was made me terribly unhappy. I, dre I dreaded, you know, having to write essays and anything to do with um, written work. And I majoritively dictated all of my um, English work to my, my mother. So I kind of felt my main, my, what I was feeling drawn to was actually um, art. So i studied art foundation in Cambridge and spent a lot of my formative years at um, Kettle Shard, which is um, a wonderful, wonderful house. That was the home of Jim and Helen Ede. Um, and they generously um, converted four small cottages into one home and um, displayed their collection of beautiful early 20th century art. And they and they used to have open houses in the afternoon, and it's in a really really lovely um, position in Cambridge. So I used to spend a lot of my art foundation at Kettle Yard drawing, and just there in the Fitzwilliam Museum in Cambridge because it was kind of on the doorstep, and it was just somewhere where I could connect to something else, and I didn't feel judged because art's so um, it, it's. It, everyone has a kind of individual opinion on it's objective you know there's not one right or wrong so I love that about it it wasn't you know like spelling where it was either right or wrong it was very kind of um black and white in that respect rather than um more fluid as it were so I, I spent many years there and um then ended up deciding that actually the best thing was to kind of follow in the path of Art. So I studied weaving at Chelsea School of Art in London after doing Art Foundation. Um, and that was a, even though I, at the time I was kind of, oh, I just, I don't really feel that weaving's for me. Um, but I was on the textile course and print had been filled. And so weaving was the, the section that I was kind of, there was availability. So I went for that. <laughs> I was kind of still unknown on which pathway I was going to take. The, the one thing I sort of feel that the universe brings you things that you need in your life is it brought a huge amount of patience. Threading up a loom for days on end <laughs> brings this huge kind of sense of, okay, there's, you can't rush this. You need to slow down. And I've been very, I've been quite impatient, I think, because of my dyslexia. I'd wanted to, you know, I wanted to kind of, I was hungry to kind of, um, move through school I kind of couldn't wait for school to be finished and I think there's there's a huge learning that comes with a craft I have a huge appreciation over um, weaving and even though I don't do it now and it, but I, I draw a lot from what I learned in those years at art college um, 
it's kind of it's been a good it's been a beautiful journey in that respect and it's good to reflect back on it in a in a hugely positive way and so then how did you then transition from doing that at college to then you know ending up where you are today creating house of gray did you work for other interior design practices or can you just sort of share a little bit about that journey sure sure um well i think i'd it's interesting because when um part of definitely part of the neurodiversity is that you look at not just opportunities but you see uh the bigger picture the holistic view on a lot of different things and um part of that for me was looking at where there are um where there are things in life where i thought oh we could actually better the you know what's happening and that came down to when i was at art college actually looking at um plastic and how much plastic was being used and developed a collection for my final degree show on and plasticized fabric with single-use plastic and this was over 25 years ago and i genuinely came out of art college thinking oh everyone's going to get this they're going to understand they're going to see <laughs> and i kind of had my degree show and no no one was kind of really everyone's like Meh. and i was kind of like oh i'm really surprised that no one's seeing how much we how much plastic we use and how much we need to change our usage and change how we're living and designing and and that was so kind of i felt rather flat after my degree show because it hadn't been received as i'd thought it should have been or how it should have been and um from that i kind of found myself um working deciding that actually there were a few different things that i tried out and um one of them was interior styling which i know that you're very familiar with as well Hmm. (laughs) um and i absolutely loved it i couldn't believe that you could create spaces um purely out of your imagination that would be photographed and bring a a sense of, I think what I've realized I've learned from that period of my time um, or period of time with the the detail and look at the whole picture. And that's kind of what has, I've brought into House of Grey a lot was the the level of um, every side of the business. You learn so much when you're interior style. It's not just making a space look super beautiful um and i kind of decided that actually after interior styling i wanted to transition into something that had more longevity because i love the idea we still i still do do some interior styling but i actually love the idea of having something that became more permanent um and i was finding that there was a lot of there feels like there was a lot of waste going on within that industry and so i kind of started transitioning um and i worked for an interior designer in chelsea and i found that she was brilliant and i learned a huge amount from her and i decided that there was just something that i didn't feel my style fitted in terms of there were it was quite um the style was quite there were pelmets and it was there was there, there was a lot within the within the schemes and I just found myself finding this pathway of intuitively working in terms of just wanting to create something and doing something a bit different innovating out of what was traditionally because I felt that actually looking at how we can 
adjust and adapt. We can make our own pathway and we just have to know that it's the right thing. And that's how House of Grey has become House of Grey. And I launched that the year my son was born because it had been in my mind for a long time. And I just felt we could do we could start changing people's perception and create a movement in terms of how we design homes, looking at them not just aesthetically, but actually multi-levels all the way through from what we use in the walls to what we use on the floor to how the whole full circle approaches. And so we have created a um, circular substogenic design, which is comes from full circle in terms of what we take from the earth comes full circle and comes back round. So all of the materials that we specify um, and we encourage clients to use are fully decomposed. But you know, so that there is that it's a full circle approach and Celsogenic, which is something that um, it's it's come from the healthcare industry. And I couldn't quite understand with the healthcare industry how we look at the buildings and how they have an impact on our health but when I look at healthcare buildings in terms of hospitals to me that doesn't um, signify health it does in terms of people getting better but actually as spaces as they're designed I can't relate to them they feel quite cold they feel quite generally there's a lot of strip lighting it doesn't make me feel nurtured and I basically felt that there was something there to be joining the two together to create something along with our aesthetic that then became and has become House of Grey. So it was kind of just, it was joining three things together, which I felt should join together as a holistic um, House of Grey. Yeah, wonderful. I, I um, gosh, there's so much that I could ask you about this, but I, I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess one of the things, just going back a little bit, because I know that there are people out there who are interested in interior styling. I'm just curious, can you share how you, um, like what field were you working? Were you working for magazines or were you working uh, for clients and, and how you kind of got the work in that kind of capacity? Were you freelancing or can you just share a little bit more about that to start off with? Sure. Um, I started interning on magazines and that was fantastic. It's great experience. Um, and I loved, I, when I was freelancing on magazines I, and interning, I kind of decided that I loved the idea of working for different people and having a freedom and, a, and being in different places at different times. So I started freelancing for a variety of different stylists and then had three regular stylists that I worked with for probably about four, four years. Um, and that was great because you kind of, you really do just take what you feel are the best bits from each of those people in, you know, I kind of feel like that's the best way to, um, best way to work. And I've kind of used that, ethos and mentality in creating House of Grey and it was it's we have you know I worked for many different um clients and then I, I basically compiled my own portfolio by doing test shoots and then you know went out there literally pounding the street with a, a photographic portfolio um and built that up and I styled for a number of years and traveled the world it's been amazing I've you know I worked in Australia Tokyo um 
really fortunate. I think I did the most amount of traveling pre pre my son. Um, and it, I know I've been to places that I'd never necessarily picked to go to, but were actually really informative and really just inspiring to go to. Um, and then it, I sort of, as I said, I, I still do do some signing because I still love, I love the, um, I love the inspiration that comes with styling. I kind of, it's just, it's still so ingrained in me and I still, you know, I'm very much on all of the projects that we are interior design projects. I'm always there styling on and art directing on the shoots. And I, you know, that's part of, I think you have to just do work that you love. And I try not to call it work because it makes it feel like it's laborious and a chore, but it doesn't, it never feels like that for me at all. Um, yeah, no, I completely, I mean, I, yeah, I, um, I mean, I sort of, um, well, I, I agree with completely in terms of, you know, sort of saying that you started doing interning and that's something I always say to people, you know, when they sort of ask me, how do you get into interior uh, styling? I mean, even so many different careers, I think just, you know, shadowing someone or interning for someone, it's such a great way. You mm. learn so much more in one day mm. of doing that than you could by mm. reading or listening to, you know, however many podcasts or whatever, you know, I think it's, you know, yeah. you learn on your feet. And, um, and I think also I, I'd be interested if you agree with this, but I do think that when you do interior styling, particularly for, you know, photography that you, it really helps you to learn how to see spaces. You sort of see them in such a specific way. And I think it really helps you want to create moments in spaces as well. I don't know. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. And it was, it was only um, when we were having a studio workshop the other day, and we, we were putting together some business um, presentations and um, I, the lady that worked with us on the strategy was said, you know, you, I don't think you really understand how different your approach is in comparison to most other interior design companies, because all the other interior design companies come from it from interior design. They've done an interior design course, they've worked for an interior designer, and then they come in and you know, produce their interiors. And then they'll have an out, gen generally, they'll have an outsider who will come in, an outsider stylist who will come in and style their, their spaces. And she said, but, you know, because of your, how you view things, you're really good at the accessories, the small details as well, which I think has really helped inform how House of Grey works. And it also, you know, because we are, so involved in the process all the way through it means our clients literally get their home that that you know get the home that when we do the turn you know we have this lovely um you know handover kind of i don't want to say presentation but you know i'm there and we're, the whole team's there and will the client will come in and you can they can really see their house as it as it is it looks like it's out of a magazine but obviously they can sit in it and they can enjoy it but it's it's a fully designed and styled home and I feel that's definitely given and I don't know about you but I find that you you really do pick up on those detail things because of having looked on camera and just knowing okay well, that's not quite out of place that's not quite balanced there's definitely a an art to styling um and it takes a it takes a while it's a learned skill and um as you say you know interning was the most useful you know, you learn on the ground, you learn under other people's, you know, 
I don't want to say expense, but, you know, you don't have to. The thing as well is, you know, you're only as good as your last job in my book. Mm. And it's it really is. is You know, people are quite, quite quick to to make judgment calls. So I, I always feel like it's good to kind of work with someone and kind of learn and draw on their experience and kind of understand exactly. You can, it, can, it can make it a lot, I don't want to say quicker, but, you know, you can just learn so much in that way um oh completely I mean it's yeah. it's such an immersive experience and I, even I think you know I learn so much I work with different photographers and I learn so much even just mm. from working with different photographers as well so um mm. now I, I want to ask you about obviously so you know, I love the principles that you have um, with your design and we can talk about those in a detail a little bit more as well. But obviously, you know, having these, you know, beautiful principles and ideals that you want to design by, but then getting other people to understand what you stand for and take you on as, you know, become a client of yours and sort of take you on as their designer how did you go about that? Like sort of those initial, when you're first starting out, um, how did you kind of start to get momentum with your business? Because I think that's sometimes pe- something that people really struggle with. Mm. Um, we hold a lot of workshops internally in the studio and I always had, and we very much, so we sat down and based and kind of had a large spider gram of exactly what I wanted House of Grey to be, the idea that I had behind it, which was we're the kind of House of Grey's at the core, and then you with this umbrella that holds um, a few different threads underneath the umbrella, um, and where we could really create something that wasn't just a work environment. It was about creating something that people wanted to come to breaking out of the norm you know we kind of we the the girls can have flexible working hours as long as they get their work done they can make it work for them um we're very human-centered in our approach it's not about the numbers obviously numbers you know (laughs) we need to pay salaries i understand that um but it is for us it's not just you know we're lucky that I suppose there's been this is what's been so exciting, not just in the last couple of years, but people are a lot more open to people want a quality of life a lot more. There's a work life balance. And I think when drawing on a lot of how I had looked at things that I didn't like about companies that I'd worked at, um, how when I worked on magazines, it was kind of like this isn't really sustainable. In, you know that was they were just things I was internalizing and picking up on and culturally observing across the board and I just saw I remember Instagram in god it must have been like mid I joined it must have been like 2012 or something like a, a, a while ago and I just remember thinking god imagine being able to create something that people using it as a platform this is what i mean about working intuitively and in innovating and how you seeing opportunities and thinking well that's a free platform why don't we create something that people can that want to be a part of something that i truly believe in and so we used instagram very much as a platform for 
basically storytelling. I found myself looking at lots of Instagram thinking, you know, images and feeds and just thinking, God, I just, that makes me feel bad. That doesn't make me feel great. So I just thought, let's create something that actually people want to check in with. Let's be real about things. Let's make people feel good. And I was doing a lot of um, work on myself, personal development work, journaling. Um, I was also talking to someone just kind of working out what was feeling right, what wasn't feeling right, just honing myself and my practice of and just thinking about what my ideal life would be and then the right people join what you're creating um and so that's kind of it's having a belief and just and knowing what you're doing you know above all as well it's actually about putting some putting time in as well um I do you know I do spend time thinking about things and spend time working on projects and working with the team you know I'm always in the studio every day pretty much other other than when I'm on holiday but um I'm very proactive with what we do in the studio and I think that's we evolve continuously um because it feels it's a bit like I had a conversation with someone the other day about the high street about how the high street kind of retail in in London really feels like it's dying and it's because they had one business model and they never they never, they've never re-looked at that or reflected or kind of adjusted. Whereas Amazon have obviously, I don't love Amazon at all, but they have looked at culturally how we're changing, how we're moving and reacted to that. And I think there's, that's how you, that's how business should be run, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, completely, you've got to, it, there's, there's many different parts to it isn't there? I mean, but Mm. I I guess, again, like just sort of maybe going a little bit further back. So um, were you doing interior design work before you started House of Grey? Because many people, when they set up an interior design practice, you know, they, they're working by themselves initially before they even start Mm. to kind of gather a team and, and, and have that kind of growth and, you know, can even start thinking about establishing the type of culture within their their Mm. sort of business um Mm, did mm. you sort of start out by yourself initially and then kind of grew it into house of gray is that how you went about getting clients initially yeah yeah so i started um i started taking on it was interesting i think that was kind of very very um I learned a lot from that period just in terms of the work that I wanted to do and the work we I was doing. I mean, I've always had an assistant. So it's always been me and somebody else or uh, me and a couple of assistants. But I always had like a regular assistant um, working with me. And I would, we took on, we took some smaller residential projects and people were coming to me because I think I had been personally uh, buying and developing homes just for myself and I think people had seen that and then there was a lot of um, you know, kind of word of mouth so I was doing sort of smaller projects and learning a lot that way but then I suppose that realisation that I wanted people to come to us because of a particular style that we were doing not because we could fit in with the client so I think that was quite a turning point in terms of House of Grey and that's how House of Grey came about because I thought actually I really want to it was with being pregnant and coming up to the birth of my son that I just thought I really want to make a positive change, and it isn't uh, in a in a monetary way. It's in a way of <clears throat> changing how 
because there's, there's in a way there's different designers there's designers where somebody a client will come to you and say okay this is the style i want can you do it for me or there's designers where it's they're going to you for a particular style and that's your kind of your house style as it were and um i think now we've we've definitely made that transition where clients come to us because of our principles because of how we our aesthetic um and how we approach our project rather than okay i've got these tear sheets and i'd like you to do what we have here and develop this further um so that was that's been um that's been really a, a positive change in terms of us, but it takes you know I, I believe that it takes you know for you to have a really strong foundation you have to root yourself and kind of grow great I just it's my belief that it just takes that while to because otherwise if you grow too quickly and your roots aren't firmly in the ground you're just going to topple over and it's kind of it's that I, I love that kind of analogy of sort of just being able to root yourself and and we are in a really great position because we have it's it's been quite a it's it's been a nice gradual process and not stressful which is what I like to <laughs> keep life simple yeah no I I completely understand where you're coming from I mean it sounds like you were kind of almost at a turning point where you were getting maybe more and more work with interior design and then decided to be more intentional about, okay, what am I going to do with this? What's the next chapter with this skill set and with this type of work? And you've been very intentional about the process. So can you then share in a very kind of, I guess, a bit more of a practical sense when it comes to the sort of circular salute so I knew I was going to stumble on this one. Salutogenic <laughs> design. Um, Salutogenic. Thank you. <laughs> um, it is a mouthful. I totally appreciate <laughs> Can you share in a kind of more practical sense how you actually get these principles at work in the spaces that your, you know, House of Grey designs and, um, yeah, just sort of give us a bit of an insight uh, you know, practical examples of, of how this manifests, I guess, in your work? Um, it very much, I, what I would say with circus self-genic design is that um, you really do, you you have to be in, you have to be able to embrace imperfections. You know, I think what we've all got used to, which is what we manage with clients' expectations, what we've all got used to is this kind of very perfect world and that comes from, um highly produced items you know it's not embracing natural imperfections in wood or um and we we had it with um some clients where we had some really beautiful um solid wood floor that we were putting down and and the clients loved it um but they very much wanted it to look a bit more perfect than it was actually intended to be and i think they're you know, and it's the same with a lot of the finishes that we use on the walls, you know, the clay, which is absolutely beautiful. You know, it's, it has a texture to it. It has, you know, it's a natural product. You know, you have to, it doesn't have such, I would say it's, it doesn't have such high durability than say, for example, if you use vinyl or, um, you know, so it's something that's been very, very 
finished. And so we do always manage um, client expectations with that. But at the same point, it just gives you a beautiful, um, there's such a different sensitive quality when, when using these. And we kind of use them across. So we're always, we do a lot of R&D research and development within this area because it's a really emerging um, area with the materials that we use in pro uh, projects that we do. And, and we kind of really explore and address issues that we're facing today in terms of um, materials that are, aren't as sustainable um, as, you know, cork, bamboo, um, some wood, not all wood, you know, we, we're, we're just very aware of the, the materials that we're, we're selecting for product um, projects. And we have seven design principles that we have mapped out for the studio for internal use, which allows the, the girls to have something to reflect back to. So um, a few of them are purposeful design, um, which is looking at design with purpose, not just because it's super beautiful or, you know, we like to have things that are functional that our clients will understand that they can pass down to from generation to generation, looking at um, suppliers who have certification, you know, which is uh, like our friends at Armadillo, who are, you know, they have such a, a wonderful business that we're kind of um, fully, you know, supporters of because of how they not only just produce their products, but how they run their business. You know, I think they're, they're a really um, fantastic benchmark to uh, how a lot of companies should be um, running businesses. And I think we're, you know, within the studios, the girls can understand from the seven design principles, like embracing imperfections is another one. Um, you know, looking at the, the materials in that respect and also being able to, we create things for clients that we cannot find on the market. So for example, one of our clients had them, um, Sleep and Appia, and I can never pronounce that, you see, mm -hmm. um, where he, um, he'd wake up in the night and he had problems breathing. So he designed a bedside table which would hold his uh, machine that was easy accessible, but it wasn't the machine, wasn't on display. Um, and it was, um, and that was made with UK wood with one of our local craftsmen we work with um, a lot on projects. And the client was absolutely thrilled with it and it worked brilliantly. And he's been, you know, that was kind of for him, it, it was an investment piece because he knew he could take that from the apartment he's in now on when, you know, forevermore. Um, and so that's been, there are lots of different areas that we kind of look at how we can apply these in terms of a lot for us is also about the hidden features. It's not always about what you can see, the aesthetic quality of a project. It's, you know, uh, one thing all of our clients say is that when they walk into the finished, their finished home is the, the lack of chemical smell because we use natural fillings in when we, when our clients would like us to, to design beds, we use um, natural latex, horsehair and byproducts, um, which do not need chemical fire retardant on them, on the because we're not using foam. So there's always, a, we're always finding solutions to problems. So there's, it becomes that, it becomes that area where you kind of think, God, for how, how many years have I lived with all of these chemicals around me in terms of, we use a lot of graphenstone as well, which is um, 
a natural VOC free paint so it doesn't off gas so the volatile organic compounds we've all been used to living with for years and years when we paint our wall and they kind of emit these um, kind of nasty gases um, which now I'm so pleased that things are actually changing and moving forward in such a quite a fast-paced way I mean I think this is what's been great about COVID it's really pushed it's propelled everyone to move forward in such a um, with momentum it's it's really great I mean I, I know COVID wasn't great at all but just in terms of people's awareness I think um, it's very much made people consider a lot more about what they're surrounding themselves with which is what we've been talking about for a number of years which is um which is really good which is really good yeah i i um i went on a sort of journey myself of discovering all of this stuff while i was um researching my book still the slow home and once i i always sort of say like once you learn about the chemicals that are in so many products within our homes such as mattresses and I mean, there are so many different elements within the home. And once you learn that, you can't unlearn it. (laughs) You know, it's just, yeah. And then I sort of designed a a studio shortly after that and really embraced many of the principles that you're talking about. And it doesn't, Mm. it doesn't have any of those kind of chemical smells. Whereas, you know, I, it's amazing, like you say, you know, how we kind of just got used to sort of living with paints or painting our homes and then having like, you know, mm. oh, that stinks for a few days, you know, and thinking like, oh, it just stinks, but it's it's doing more than smell, yeah. you know, it, it's actually affecting yeah. us. And um, the yeah. same with, I mean, I remember like when I was younger, always using bleach in the bathroom and things like that, you know, it's, no, you know, no. all these things that we just kind of just presumed that that was just the way that you did it. But you just always have to question, you know, what is actually in this product? What is in this material and what impact is it having on our health? So, yeah, I think it's, um, you know, it's wonderful what you're doing, but have you had to, I mean, I know you sort of say it's about educating um, clients about this are you getting growth in your business through word of mouth or you know how because obviously it's it's wonderful to have these these principles mm. and ideas but it's still not mainstream mm. I know I agree that it is becoming more and more well known but how have you managed mm. to grow as a business based on these principles through Instagram I think that's the that's been we um we've very much used it as a platform of knowledge and informing and through that we had we've had a huge gr- natural growth on Instagram in terms of what we do and people understand getting across our message of how we approach projects so now you know all of our work comes through Instagram actually no that's actually that's probably about, I'd probably say about 20% might come through interviews that I do in terms of um, on, you know, with different publications and people reading that. It, but I would say the majority is through Instagram. And I think it's it's very much, um, I suppose this is what I was saying about, you know, COVID propelling everyone to actually have that awareness. And now there's a lot of imitators who are kind of imitating how House of Grey do things. But we keep innovating, so we're keeping, we keep pushing, we keep moving us idea ideology forward in terms of being 
the source that clients can come to to know that they will get a service of excellence in that area. Now, in terms of what we, which is why we hold internal workshops, we've got three coming up in July for the studio members, which allow them to have a full overview. And they're in three different things, you know. So we've got one of our friends and Bowerker coming over, the owner from Bowerker, to talk about her line paints, talk about the application because we've we've worked on a collection with them, and I want the whole team to fully understand and be invested. And because each of the members, the studio members, join House of Grey because they have a genuine love and want to make a change in terms of sustainability and what we put into our homes. And we don't just, we're not just designing in terms of the circular self-sustaining design. We are within, we're investing in the whole process in terms of working with our contractors, looking at recycling policies on site, looking at what we can use for the home, from the homes existing and bringing it back into the design that we're doing for our client. We salvage what we have on site as well. And if we can't salvage it or the client doesn't want it, then we will sell that on. So we really do, you know, that's something that we have a full investment on. And we are intentionally smaller as a design studio because then it allows us to still deliver a quality to our clients and be able to still have that level of detail that we want to pass on to our clients and things don't get missed then and we do have to be you know the, the problem at the moment with with what we do is that there's still a mentality out there of Sally Janet what and kind of don't quite understand it and actually that's not everyone's still in that mentality of quicker faster money quicker faster money you know they kind of want to keep moving at a pace and making money quickly and we we definitely notice there's a lot of greenwashing out there in terms of oh i'm you know let's let's this is a green you know we've designed this with um you know circular principles in mind and biophilic design and we've got a plant in the corner and that's not <laughs> kind of you know we we've turned projects down that we feel don't work with integrity aren't aligned with our philosophy and our design thinking because it just if we're going to deliver something we want to wholeheartedly say this is this is as uh, the highest specification in terms of what we can deliver and knowing that we've restored a property with all of our design you know the majority of design principles align sometimes they don't all line up in the same in the same way but just in terms of what we deliver our clients rather than and it's you know and I think things are changing then you know I mean if you look at Milan design week it's all about sustainable design you know and the, what's kind of what I find quite interesting is it's all about sustainable design I found myself thinking what would be really great is if they'd actually looked at the design show as a whole and then use some of the material from the design shows and then reuse that for internal internal community projects within Milan for communities that are slightly less afforded to be able to invest in those things. But you know, that's me being an idealist in terms of part of well being and part of one of the design's principles is always giving back. That's the feel good factor. It's not just all about take, take, take. So that's very much how we approach our projects. It's with our clients. It's not just this is a project. This is, you know, we become very much about what can we give back? How can we work with genuine integrity across all the whole area of the project? It's not, it's, I, I'm so passionate about it. And I think probably this is why the, you know, we've, 
why we're growing and why we are um, where we are now and why people can actually have a true understanding of House of Grey because of our communication and how we are, we genuinely care about what's happening and being able to make those changes and why we don't or haven't to date worked with a large developer because we perhaps don't fit into their benchmark of being able to do it quickly, not thinking about how the process is, you know, we're very considered about how we work. Um, and that doesn't work for everyone, but I would say that it's change is happening. And if you look at, you look at how, how people are approaching things and how people are buying, people are buying more carefully. They're happy to wait longer. They have a more, uh, uh, people don't need things with such immediacy anymore and people aren't buying via marketing as much anymore. And it's a bit like reverting back to what you were saying about the, um, the paints and how we used to decorate our homes. And, you know, we were fed this marketing dream for many, many years and we all kind of unconsciously didn't really consider why we were buying the the paint for our walls that was smelling for a couple of days and we didn't really even think about it. But now people are becoming, there seem to be a lot more illnesses. And, you know, my journey came about from having problems conceiving and thinking it's just, oh, you know, like just deeper diving and thinking about things a lot more and becoming a lot more aware. Um, there's so much that you can, it's, it's, it's kind of like a can of worms in a way. Once you start, there's kind of, and we're certainly not saying we know everything, but we are well informed on um, our direction and where where value comes in terms of interior design and health and home. Yeah, I, I, um, I mean, I hear these stories, you know, through friends and people that I interview for the podcast, how much our health is interconnected with our home. And, um, yeah. you know, we, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many different elements, but I mean, even just in my local area, we've had flooding and there's been huge mold issues mm. and, you know, just on a sort of basis of, you know, of that, which is just the weather, <laughs> you know, affecting our homes mm. and, and it just how mm. you, know, you start to look at like how the houses are, are built and designed and yeah, there's, there's just so much into that. So, um, mm. I'm, I'm kind of curious, um, <clears throat> about, obviously you're very passionate about, you know, so many different things and you're essentially running this, this, this business, um, I'm not, you know, I don't know if you're comfortable sort of sharing, you know, how many people are in your design studio and, and if you could give us this insight into like what your days and weeks look like and, and what you, cause I'm just thinking, you know, there's so many different elements. I mean, obviously there's the, mm. you know, learning and educating yourself, there's briefing your team, there's meeting with clients, there's, um, you know, looking at your Instagram and your website, which is really beautiful, both mm. of those things. And I mean, I'm sure, you know, you can't do it all, you know, you have to mm. outsource that to different members of your team. And, and, and can you give us an insight into, you know, how you manage to, to do that? Because I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with is, is letting go of certain aspects of the business or the process so that you can grow and so that, you know, these ideas can spread and, and you know, and get out there as well. Mm. 
Well, I think <laughs> I think you realise when you run a business, as much as you want to maintain, oh, it's not even control. It's it's you know you, you care about what you're doing. You want to make sure your your client feels that they're your only client. And um, I mean, currently we have six members in the studio, all women, not for any reason in particular, but but it's, it's happened that way. Uh, we really keep trying to get a guy in but it just hasn't happened um but we're a very um we're a really close knit team just in terms of we kind of we have a very open policy and due to as I was saying kind of I work very intuitively I'm very aware of um how people are feeling in the studio and we've we I think as well as being um I'm a single working mum and I kind of realized at the stage of my son you know you it's you think you've got everything under control and then they're ill and you're like okay great Mm. (laughs) (laughs) well you want to be there for them and you will be there for them but then you're just trying to juggle a business I realized at that stage I kind of needed to build the business a bit to be able to maintain being there for my son because he's my priority um I think we are at a stage which is really exciting we've kind of realized that we probably over the next year will be growing more now I don't want to be a huge design company but I I've realized obviously you have to adjust and adapt for example a lovely company manager who's been with me eight years is going on maternity leave in two months so I sort of you know then you realize ah okay we need to kind of balance that out and find someone else and she very much knows the ins and outs of kind of the day to day running on the of the studio. And I think we've sort of learned through meeting people and having an understanding on how they work when they come in for trials, whether that's going to work for them and for us. It has to work both ways. And um, I think because we we're still friends with all of the members that have been with us and were, you know, who decided to move on because they wanted to work with a bigger design team or um, because I think we are, we have a different, you know, we're different. We have a different way of thinking um, in the studio than from what I'm led to believe other design. I haven't worked at a large design studio, so I kind of don't know how that, but from what I'm led to believe. And I think that's kind of, you know, I, I think the main thing is that we really just look at what we throw ideas out. So we have these workshops and we throw ideas out and we, all of the studio members can say, oh, have you thought that maybe we could do this or we could do that? And we're kind of like, okay, that's, yeah, let's give it a go. Let's trial it and see if it works for everyone. And it's kind of more, it, there's not a dictatorship. We're all very hands-on. We all kind of, we all sit around a very large table and that kind of works. But I think as I say, with, with our work and how we're, developing the R&D side like the research and development on materials we're realizing that we will at some point need to find a larger studio because our materials library is <laughs> becoming a space of like oh, oh my goodness it's like not as simple as I'd like it because <laughs> mm-hmm. there's a, a lot of um a lot of samples in there but I think in terms of um the studio members we're very much you know, everyone's invested in terms of their um, their emotional, spiritual and mental health. You know, we don't do late nights here. I don't, we don't, 
And that's, I do, but the girls don't. But that's a choice that I want the girls to finish on time, have a work-life balance and have a flexible, it's, you know, there to be a bit more freedom because I think then you get more from people because they are happier. <laughs> that's why I'm more contented. Um, yeah, no, completely. Yeah. And, and what about, so you've, you've um, taken on collaborations, you've sort of spoken about Armadillo, which is um, an Australian company, which many of the Australian listeners would be familiar with. I mean, I've, I've loved watching their journey because I know Jodie um, quite well and, you know, we were, yeah, started our sort of journeys at around the same time in different spheres. I came, came across her while um, I was working in magazines and she was, this was even before she started Armadillo. So it's, it's just been such a joy to see the business that she has created with her business partner and like you say, the values that they have and bow work, which um, Bronwyn and um, her home is in my book still. And I've met her and I love oh. what they do. Um, and I'm not familiar with Koto, so you could maybe share a little bit about them, but why have you decided to go down the path of collaboration and um, yeah. And can you share how that process has worked and what's been your intention with it? Um, I think it all came about and it was pre-COVID of just thinking, well, one, we couldn't, Armadillo came about because I just genuinely couldn't find any really, really beautiful rugs where I, you knew the origin, you knew the processes. And I just thought, this is just ridiculous. I can't believe that, you know, I wanted to work with 100% natural rugs that I could specify for projects that were that didn't have polyester in them, that I knew that the the production processes had were thoughtful, they cared about the people making the rugs, the crafts people who were actually, you know, that whole process. And there was nothing nothing out there that we could find um that is changing now. But um and so I approached um Jodie and Sally at, with an idea and a, a a business business idea and they 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 were really open to it which is fantastic and it was really it's been a, a really wonderful journey because it, it was our kind of having worked with three different companies of different sizes Armadillo being the larger bow work are fantastic and we've kind of you know what's been great is we've, we've you know, building and developing these really wonderful working relationships with people that are actually friends as well. So that's that's fantastic. And I think with Bow Work, that's been interesting because they they with the the paint range. I suppose working in three different mediums as well. So um, and having the weaving background was another reason for approaching Jodie and um, Sally because I thought actually I've you know. I don't want to personally weave, but I know the background. I know I, I have an understanding of the process myself, um, a hands-on understanding from studying at art college. And I suppose with all three, I kind of thought, you know, it was looking at senses. So it was a kind of the, the feeling underfoot with, with the rugs was really important when we were designing those. That was something because I love being barefoot in the house, but I also love that idea of, 
not having, even though uh, I don't live with a lot of things, <laughs> interestingly, I love the idea of not having sound, you know, having children, you kind of sound bounces around an empty space. So it's that acoustic quality that was quite important for us within designing the rug. So um, the Powerless rug is particularly lovely and chunky um, and it's just so gorgeous underfoot and it was so that you could actually lie in it and because I love gong bars as well and sound meditation it was so that you could literally have a pillow lie on it and just treat it a bit like a very very thick delicious chunky kind of like a lovely acupuncture mat sort of you know it's just that that they were kind of the processes behind but also visually to look at very visually pleasing um, and then with the the bower paint it was that the same thing of God, I just can't find any really beautiful hues to put on the wall that kind of have texture, that it wasn't going to be clayworks as in a final finished. Like clayworks is quite different, which is clay on the walls, which has a, I couldn't personally put it up. You have to be trained to apply it. Um, and it's more like a, a plaster application. Whereas with Bowerwork paint, I could definitely do that myself. Um, you just have to get used to, you know, painting in a rhythmic um, ways that work for you specifically and how you like things to look on the wall. So we we approached Bronwyn and she was really open to the the idea as well and the collaboration. We, we'd followed them for a long time. I, I loved what they were about and there was very there were lots of kind of um syn synergies in terms of you know they're they quite family run business as well um but still really feeling passionate about what they do um and it felt that if we worked with took three different elements being visual bow work sensory for um, armadillo and then the scentscape with um, Arrow who I contacted um, Shizuku and Manuel at Arrow and approached them and said I, I'd just love to develop a room scent that has basically purifying qualities because I hate going into a home having worked on shoots for years as an interior stylist and going in somebody's home and smelling last night's dinner just mm. never worked for me at all I just you know you kind of want to go in and just it's very emotive and it's very um there's just something behind it and so I went to Berlin to meet with them both and we uh Shizuku's background is as a naturopath so it's very much about using different um ingredients natural ingredients that would have different qualities so eucalyptus was used for the antiseptic qualities um, so that when you, you can literally breathe it in. And I love the idea of being able to really inhale something and it having a bit like when you have um, a really bad cold and you need to do a kind of a steam over a bowl of water with some eucalyptus oil in. And we were talking about that. And so that's kind of that was some of the background to how we developed the, the um, Koto, which was also called... Um, in Japanese, it translates as voice of the woods. Mm. Um, and I wanted it to feel like even if you were in the centre of London, which we are, you could have that sense of being in the middle of the woodland. So there was, we used Palo Santo to kind of, for those, I mean, it's just, it's just fantastic. And um, Hibu, which is another Japanese um, extract from the Hibu, Hibu tree, tree. God, sorry and um that was really 
it just it gave it a very deep level of it wasn't too wasn't too uplifting it wasn't too citrusy but it had a kind of beautiful deep rootedness to it so whenever i mean we we use it daily in the studio and it's just been and i use it every time i do yoga so three times a week i spritz it and i kind of just take a deep breath and breathe really deeply into my stomach um and it's but it, we felt we launched that just after the first lockdown and we'd put it off, put off, um, delayed launching it because of COVID. And then we just thought, oh, we might as well launch it. But then realised oh, it's quite difficult to launch a scent when no one can actually because <laughs> <laughs> you can't do it on Instagram. You're like, oh, that was a learning curve. <laughs> so then we did scent cards that people could um, people could contact the studio for. But it, that was kind of without having, you know, people can go into physical space and actually smell it and you kind of. So that was, but they've been honestly the poetic emails that Shizuka and I would exchange through COVID it was a really memorable experience because we just she writes with this beautiful just imagination a way of kind of that transports you and you realize that's part of her storytelling when it comes to sense and developing sensecapes that you your storytelling within a scent and then she was kind of also lyrically communicating like this and I kept saying to her well I really look forward to I sort of took me took me back to having you know receiving letters years and years ago and how we don't really do that anymore I genuinely look forward to her emails because I just think oh where am I going to go today and <laughs> where am I traveling to and um so she, that's been wonderful and we've sort of had lots of lovely exchanges so I look forward to seeing them again soon when everyone's fully fully traveling um but yes it's been all three of them have been really different journeys but have been wonderful in every respect with each each one um and we're just thrilled that we've kind of and really proud that we've developed three different products that are have been developed with such beautiful intent and all of the all of the koto shizuku hand tied in these beautiful japanese uh recycled paper bags with um and it's just they're so and all hand printed you know it's kind of there's so much love that goes into each each one of these creations they're definitely not mass produced that's for sure you sold me um, anyway <laughs> i'm like yeah, i'm so curious yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's mate honestly it's just it's beautiful yeah okay before we go into the last kind of little round of questions there's two more things that i really would love to kind of get your perspective on the first is as you mentioned you kind of sort of um mentioned how your style is you know you, you really like simple spaces and if anyone's not familiar with your aesthetic um you know it's it's very pared back but you know elegant and i mean it's, it's just so beautiful what um you know what is it about that that you love? Why do you think that that is something that you're drawn to? And I guess in a practical sense as well, you know, I mean, obviously it's, it's you know, you're, you're from a styling background as well. And so, you know, we both know that mm. you can make spaces look beautiful, but behind the scenes it can be, you know, sometimes a lot of chaos for certainly for magazine shoots and, and those kind of things. But how can you create spaces that have that sense of peace and serenity, but also live like that? You know, what, what's your take on that? Um, I suppose, let's think about this. So with, in terms of 
um, we kind of call our aesthetic in the studio, it's, it's a quite understated luxury. So part of that has been changing people's perception of having a healthy home. Because actually, when you look at where it originates from in terms of cob houses, looking at um, you can get rounder floors, which are very kind of, I don't want to, I would say commune hippie would sort of spring to mind. We wanted to bring a sense of um, a healthy home, but with a luxury feeling. And I think for me, when you work quite hard, you want to feel at the end of the day that you can really download, decompress. You know, stress, stress is the bis- biggest attribute to illness mm. across the board. It's like a fact. It's just like, and I think unless we address how stressed we are and how we've busied ourselves and, you know, just in terms of, and, and we've been, we've we've been talking about this for quite a while on Instagram and on various interviews and various things about being so overly stimulated and visually stimulated. And I think a lot of that comes down to, for us, it's just planning out and space, looking at the flow of the house and incorporating really getting to grips with how your client or how that person who's going to live in that home is going to live there. Really just, you know, this is what we do a lot with our clients and just, you know, so that we can accommodate good storage and the, 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 the learning behind what makes a good space. And I think it's interesting because when I left my previous home um, and went into a rental space just for a bit to kind of collect my thoughts and just work out what my next movement would be I couldn't it just occurred to me just how many people don't they will not really think about how they're cooking in a kitchen before they design a kitchen and when somebody else does it for them they will just be doing it on a template and it's exactly like when you're buying into a mass development we're finding that we have clients who come to us who bought in a larger development and they would like it tailored to their needs and that's because developers you know will design one space and just replicate that over you know 40 different flats however as humans we're not all templated (laughs) you know it's very rare to see people the same and live exactly the same and have the same habits so I think this is where we're very um, you know, it's very important for us to really understand our clients. And we have quite a, I don't want to say process because I don't want anyone to think it's labor intensive working with us, but just getting to know a client. And so um, so that we can really um, deliver exactly the home that they are going to be 100% content in and that they can just feel supported, nourished and download at the end of the day and feel that they've made I say investment and it's not, it's, you know, into their own quality of life. I think it's really, really important to be able to do that. And it's, it's, I had a friend for dinner last night, actually, and she just went, oh, will you come and look at my house? Because I cannot believe how calm I feel sitting here. She (laughs) said, I feel so good and I can't do what, I can't do this. And I don't know what, you know, you've used different finishes and I don't know what they are. And, but I just, what I do know is that I feel I'm really content. 
and I, and I thought, oh, tick. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's kind of that's how I want. I, that's how I've always I've realised when I did my own personal work, what I really enjoy doing is making people feel good. Yeah, and part of that comes in designing a really good space and it's not it's definitely not a people pleasing thing it's a I genuinely want somebody to walk away and to go that was actually that's the best thing that I that was the best choice I made yeah because I live in that space every single day and I get a really good night's sleep but because I've invested in a great mattress that actually you know has been made in the UK hasn't you know, hasn't got a huge carbon imprint that, you know, for a company that's been going since the 1900s that keeps production in the UK. You know, this is how we work. And if we work with an international client, we will source everything as much as we can, as close to home as possible. And this has been pushed forward by Brexit and various other things. So we've adapted and, you know, going back to being a smaller studio, being smaller means we can be more nimble. You know, we don't have a layer of kind of protocol to work through because we can move quickly, you know, and that's great with us. So I think in a lot of ways we, we can, I don't want to say serve, but we can deliver for our clients very um efficiently and that is and that in turn makes it a lot more you know efficient for them so it's good it's i you know it's very positive it's um yeah good and and so have you had to go on your own journey of as i said you know you've got this beautiful simple aesthetic but in terms of have you had to go on your own journey of decluttering your spaces or learning to let go of things because I mean when you're constantly surrounded by you know like you're talking about Milan Design Week you know there's always new products Mm. there's always new things out there how do Mm. you kind of keep the reins on? So it's really interesting because when I was really at the height of my styling I was definitely a collector and that maybe made me go the other way because you know what it's like you kind of you me know i go to <laughs> oh my god yeah. you go to like vintage vintage stores and you know you'd be like oh my god oh you know and it wasn't necessarily all you know new things it was like you know some car boot sales or vintage and you know and then you t- i just found myself being like oh my god like and looking at things going oh my god how much do i actually use that and actually i'm spending more time cleaning it than i am using it because you know, I'm using it once a year and I'm not. So I found myself doing a very kind of cathartic clear out. And just and that was kind of, I suppose, when I started my sort of personal development and started talking to someone just about what was important to me, where I was feeling overloaded, overwhelmed, um, where I found myself being drawn. I did a shoot in Tokyo and that was quite pivotal to me thinking, oh my god like what are we doing (laughs) like just in they you know the japanese have such a a, like i mean i'm just in awe of the culture their way of living their approach to not having to have so much around them in terms of day-to-day and i think also i just when i actually really thought about it this the the marketing of you know, you can have one company that, I don't know, like you look at, I'm trying to think, but you know, there'll be multi companies within one company all selling the same thing, but just under different names, so under different guises. And I think suddenly there, I just realized that actually to really 
spend time and enjoy something out of, say, for example, a cup that isn't mass produced, but it's been handmade and someone spent hours and hours and hours making it, that you can enjoy it a lot more. I enjoy a lot more. You have a lot more value for that item because someone's really thought about it and really cared over making that item. And it's I I keep saying to the guys in the studio, you know, it's kind of like the old way of thinking is the new way of thinking. It's like the old way of thinking, which was, you know, let's which is what my grandparents had, which was sort of save up, invest, save up for that sofa, keep it, look after it, rather than this fast fashion thing, this, you know, kind of dare I say, mentality of, you know, oh, I can buy it for my student room and then I can just chuck it when I leave. Doesn't quite sit anymore. You know, it should really be, oh, if I could take that from home and use it, you know, take that from my parents and use it in my student home for a bit and then I can take it back would do a huge amount to, it's sort of like we we sort of need to change our way of thinking a little bit and kind of go backwards I would say a bit into um, being able to hold value for items a lot more than the quick pace mentality that we've been living to for the last 30 years. Did you find it hard letting go of those things that you had collected over the years you know props and all that that kind of thing or were you just ready? Strangely, at the time I did, but I've never looked back. <laughs> you know, you think you're holding on to them and thinking, you know, oh, I just, I really, and actually I've got a friend who's really good. She's moved a lot, so she's very good. And I went through when I left my last house, <laughs> I had the island unit and I would bring loads of things out and she went, hang on a minute, you've got three of those, you only need one. Like two went. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we literally let, lined all these things up and I just thought, oh my God, like, and it also comes down to when you're moving house, it's a great way of getting rid of things because things come out of cupboards and you're like, do I actually need that? Do I not? Like, and you can sometimes just hold on to things that actually end up weighing you down. Like I know people that have got storage units of things that they don't even think about, but they're paying monthly surcharges for. And you're like, why? Yeah. You know, so when crazy. someone else could have enjoyed, it is crazy. Yeah. And I feel like we have, we all have just too many things yeah. and we don't need as much as we have. Like I look at my wardrobe and I'm definitely guilty of buying the same thing <laughs> again, <laughs> you know, and I kind of, oh no, I've definitely got a pair of trousers quite similar to that. So I'm definitely being more, um, uh, my awareness is becoming a lot more in tune across the board, not just with home and and I think it's easier sometimes for somebody else. I, I know with clients, we kind of go through it with clients where I'm like, do you really need that? And then sometimes, oh, I'm like, how, how often do you use it? So we have a bit of a, but sometimes it's purely you're holding on to something because it was somebody else's and they've given it to you and you feel you should, but you, do you really like it? You're not really that, you know, so there's sometimes a little bit of um, coaching. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> Gentle coaching with clients of <laughs> going through things. Completely. With them. And and yeah. I just wanted to finally ask you, I mean you've touched on your Instagram and you know how you started using it at the start. Your feed is so beautiful. What what is your approach to what images you choose to share? I know that you know you sometimes share the work of other designers and um images from nature and, and things like that. Can you just sort of share a little bit about your approach to how you 
choose to share up, uh, show up on Instagram. I think it's something that people struggle with a lot in terms of the voice that they choose and the message that they share and what even to share. Can you give us a little bit of an insight into that? Mm. I think it was really important, as we kind of touched on a little bit earlier, just to have a platform that didn't, I just didn't want, I was just very, I wanted it to be about how something made you feel and making you feel good. And I think that translates across, you know, this is very much for us about how we want people to feel when they go into a space. We want them to feel good. We don't want somebody to look at it and go, oh, you know, I'm never, I mean, it's kind of a bit like, you know, I love Celeste Barber because yeah. I just think she's just got, so, you know, it's kind of like how how somebody should look or how someone is looking, but how real life is. And I just love her humor in what she does. And I think in a way, even though we don't bring as much humor into what we do in terms of our Instagram, it was very much about how a post makes you feel about getting across our message, about celebrating um, and using it as a platform for new artists and a creative community. We have, we definitely have a kind of creative tribe that we work with and they will be craft people and we kind of celebrate their work and, and there's a, a mutual admiration for on both sides. And I think we, you know, there are certain designers who are aligned with what we do and we certainly want to kind of say, yay, cause like we love what you do as well. Um, and I think in, it's quite a good way now we find people look more at the Instagram than they would do perhaps our website so it's kind of a, a quicker way for us to you know push projects out you know to showcase our projects as well um and it kind of it brings an insight to what we really believe in and that's creating positive change and not just purely based on monetary reasons and it kind of i think as well it allows us to show the team as well um behind house of gray that it's not just me doing everything although i pretty much do have a hat for you know I do work on the Instagram I answer pretty much all of the Instagram you know if anyone contacts the studio um on Instagram it will kind of be me responding um but I think it's really important to know that the there's the response there's someone there taking responsibility for everything that happens um and who really cares about it in that way so we've realized it is kind of it is a huge um it's a bit of a beast mm -hmm. instagram to keep feeding it it's like a, i keep saying that to the girls i'm like oh, this beast that we have to feed on a kind of <clears throat> um regular level but it's it's been brilliant for us finding new designers as well i mean we really do use it a lot um in terms of seeing what's going on and it's it's it's, it's quite easy in that respect and you know, connecting with people. I've connected with lots of people on Instagram that I wouldn't have done if it had been, you know, 10 years ago where it'd be an email across to someone which becomes a bit more formal. I like Instagram because you can kind of message someone and it's a bit more, it's a lot It's a lot more relaxed. Um, so I think there's a lot of positives with it. Um, and we just keep, we keep to keep on track with just thinking how it would make us feel um, to see that in someone's feed. Um, and take them there yeah no it's good to focus on the positive because sometimes it feels like it's so easy to just focus on the negative aspects of it but um i, I know i appreciate and that <laughs> yeah <laughs> Claire, 
bad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I've got, um, there's sort of 10 quicker style questions. Um, I really appreciate your time. I've really enjoyed talking to you. I, I could really easily talk to you for another three hours, but I won't because I know we've both got other things to do. But um, I like these questions because they kind of give a little bit more of an insight into some other aspects of you and your personality and your journey. So which five words best describe you? Could you think of five that might be most suitable? I'd definitely say positive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always, I always look on the positive side of things. Um, I'm very focused with um, how I think about things. Um, always, innov- always innovating um, in terms of just seeing, seeing how things um, are developing and just, just looking at, it fascinates me I find it really really interesting just looking at everything as a whole um I definitely say I'm can be guilty of being a perfectionist which I need to kind of work on a little bit because even though that's a good thing there's definitely some negatives in there um and I would say personable I I like being with people I'm you know I, I feel that I'm good with client facing and also people just being out there with certain sorts of people i'm completely yeah, getting that vibe that. today <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> um, <laughs> what's the best life or career lesson you've learned always listen to instinct it is and it, it's interesting having uh worked myself you kind of realize when you're a child sometimes it's you feel something and then you can sometimes be told oh no don't don't be silly and that kind of knocks a little bit you off your instinct side of things. And then so you have to kind of sometimes reprogram yourself a little bit. But yes, the um, your intuition, it's never wrong. If something feels like it feels good, go with it. If it really doesn't, then just don't listen to your head, listen to your gut. Mm. What's your proudest career achievement? I would say the home of Holism, which we launched this year as a... A kind of, uh, I'd say micro, but it's like four four floored house um, at nearly four thousand square feet of of showing how we should be building and designing homes, um, and that was a kind of it's a real passion project because it's my home, it's where the studio is, it's a showroom, it kind of has lots of different um, uh, functions, but also it was built with absolute passion from using 100% natural sheep's wool in the insulation using slate on the roof we're soon to get solar panels like it it really is how we are um our view to how we should be living and renovating homes now in modern day yeah no completely um what's been your best decision Oh, it was it was definitely um, to have my son Huxley mm. because he. I know it sounds a bit soppy. No, but no, it's I beautiful. Now he's got to, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of it's one of those things because I, I sort of find myself always thinking, not always about work, but just. And then I just realised that the other day when I was talking to him and he said that um, he. I was asking about what he wanted to do when he was older. He said that he wanted to take over House of Grey. Aww. It really made me laugh because he he just he started designing homes and doing floor plans and 
elevations and set himself up a little desk in the studio and it was just terribly sweet and I just and he and I said oh why would you want to work for House of Grey and he said because I like the way you do things and I thought wow I just yeah that was sort of it was just a really it was a, a real moment of just thinking wow this is the next generation of design thinkers and thinkers that can make a difference and he is understanding what's what's right and wrong in terms of what we need to be changing and they're learning at school as well which I find amazing um of sustainability and how you know how we can start reacting um so yeah how we need to be reacting rather yeah, that's great um who inspires you I ha- yeah I definitely keep this in the family but my father because he's always been a a very good sounding board of sage advice having run his own business for over 40 years and having had um, a team of people that worked with him he's even though things have changed slightly um, in terms of business he has just been a very yeah he's just I'd say he's been my mentor in a way because I find that when you're running it can be quite lonely running a business on your own when you don't have a a kind of a a board of um, directors and financial advisors and you are working so intuitively sometimes it can be um, you know it's good to have someone that you can just kind of bounce my ideas off and he's he's that person 100% oh that's so special that you've got that um what are you passionate about? I mean, you've spoken about quite a few things that you're passionate about, but maybe anything else? <laughs> yeah, I have. I have my my sort of guilty secret, which sounds a bit weird, but um, <laughs> and I I basically um, I pot and I love pottery. And interestingly enough, I um, Jody from Armadillo now pots at the same class in London. She's I've been doing it for about seven years, and I think she joined maybe a year ago but it's 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 my guilty pleasure that I do for no commercial I don't sell it I just pot and I make things for the studio actually so we all use up the cups and plates in the studio and um, it's just something I kind of just really like keeping on the down low for just like quiet moments on a Friday Nice. I'm like, how do you find the time? <laughs> That's no, it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, sneak off. And when my son's with his father, I always sneak off on a Sunday and just go and sort of just pot away and it's brilliant. Oh, it's so good. Quiet. What dream do you still want to fulfill? I think, I don't know. It's, it's, quite, it's an interesting one because I feel, I really do feel quite full and content in terms of the accomplishments of how work is and how House of Grey has developed and, how we are as a business um but i think now the team is building i would definitely like to be able to take and especially since covid has kind of we seem to be going back to a relatively <clears throat> sort of sense a uh, normal sense of life i would like to travel a bit more with my son just to experience some things with him for him to because he's had quite a if I think back to my child, he's, he's definitely had more of a sheltered because, you know, homeschooling for a year and a half, mm. two years and not really leaving London that much. I think he would benefit from and have an appreciation. I think that's what's beautiful about traveling. Whenever I go to India, I think, wow, like the colors are fantastic. But my God, there's so much rubbish. It's like, mm. You kind of you just it just gives you a different view how different cultures live as well. I think it's really enriching. It's life's beauty. 
Yeah, we um, we talk about. I live in the Byron Bay area, and we sort of talk about like your joke. You know, it's a bit of a bubble. It, it's a beautiful bubble, yeah. but I think it is really yeah. important to get out of your bubble and get out of your sort of you know immediate surrounds and expose yourself to other ways of living both good and bad you know it just it can be such an eye-opening yeah. experience you know both ways you know inspiring but also you know humbling or yeah whatever it is yeah, yeah. and it gives you a level of appreciation as well that actually you know what some people it's a bit at the moment my son's going through oh, I don't want to go to school and I keep saying you know so many so many children as well that want to go to school they want to learn they don't have the opportunity that you have like let's let's look at that let's in this round but because of the bubble it's it's kind of like he doesn't really have that view or the appreciation it's like you said the humbling side of things mm. um that we all need sometimes yeah what are you reading at the moment are you reading got anything on your bedside table i have i mean as i was saying earlier i i kind of i read but kind of um sporadically so i like books that aren't kind of full novels but i'm reading the art of gathering how we meet, how we meet and why it matters by prina parker because i it fascinates me how we connect with different people and not just the reasons for i don't like the idea of just connecting to network i like the idea of connecting because you've genuinely got something in common and there's common ground so i it's it's kind of uh definitely a deeper understanding of how that can work and also throwing ourselves into situations where we don't necessarily know it's a bit like tonight this evening I'm going to a supper with a lady that came to our open house who I got on really well with and she's cooking us some vegetarian Indian food and it's myself and one of the ladies who's holding treatments here doing reflexology and an artist and I thought you know this this was my new thing that I just wanted to open myself up and you know meet new people that there might be I don't know it's that's what life's about and I sometimes feel that we live in this world of uh being quite insular we stick with who we know how we know them and especially after covid so I'm bursting the bubble and reaching out in a London yeah that's great <laughs> so, that's good yeah love that um what are you listening to do you listen to any podcasts or or otherwise music what kind of music are you into um we listen we always have music on in the studio um kind of low level because i'm much rather kind of they're not being awkward silence or you know not awkward but silence is in the studio so it's quite nice so, so we kind of we listen at the moment we're listening a lot to vulture prince aruj um Aftab, i think that's how you pronounce it but she's great it's kind of it's quite melodic but she's got a very kind of hypnotizing voice um and i I cycle my summer school every day so he's on the back of the bike on a cushion <laughs> and he's on the way back I'm always listening to expanded podcast which is kind of a lot of my a lot of the uh, personal development work and it's by to be magnetic and it's Lacey Phillips who's uh, an American lady and she kind of just it's it talks about um life how we can you know inner child work how we can better ourselves looking at um neuroscience how we can reprogram our um our habitual kind of um ways that we have um and i find it it's absolutely fascinating and i kind of have listened to every single one and i'm kind of working back through them because there's always different 
takeouts that you can take and different things that resonate with you um, on on different needs and different and especially on different days of how you're feeling. So I found that it was fasc- like fascinating psychology of how we think about things and how, yeah, I think it connects a lot with how we live in our homes. So I find that very, very interesting indeed. It very much translates. Yeah, no, completely. I'm, I'm, I'm always really into all that sort of stuff as well. And finally, what piece of advice would you give to your younger self? I think in terms of just not being too hard on yourself, um, I'm guilty of doing that quite a lot of thinking, why haven't I done that? And why didn't, and you, you know, I think that's the negative about Instagram comparisons. Um, so not to be hard on yourself and just spend time thinking about how something feels um, and how something makes you feel so that when for making a decision, you don't react don't knee jerk on something because I think actually just taking the time to step away from something and think oh did that make me feel good and should I go ahead with that I sort of you know can because I feel like so often I've been guilty of just making quick choice that maybe could lead to regret um that you know if I'd taken a bit more time would have been I don't know maybe I wouldn't have regretted it but it's um yeah not being too hard on yourself is definitely something that's still work in progress yeah I think <laughs> sure I think for all of us <laughs> mm, I know it can be so easy it can be so easy well thank you so much Louisa I really appreciate your time and your really thoughtful insights and um yeah I completely agree you're very personable and I could like I said feel like I could chat for so much longer so I really appreciate it and um it's been a delight having you on the podcast Thank you so much. And thank you so much for um, asking me to come and have a chat and um, yeah, have a conversation about it and be interested. So yeah, thank you. All of the links and info for this episode are at nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so that you can get a direct download of the latest episode. And I really appreciate when you take a minute to rate and review, as well as share the love with someone you know who might benefit from this episode or on social media. If you'd like to access a range of free resources, come visit my website, nataliewalton.com. Thank you to Jaeger Media for producing this podcast. And I would also like to acknowledge the people of the Bundjalung Nation where it was recorded and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. I look forward to connecting again soon. I'm Natalie Walton, and you've been listening to Imprint.